You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday the 12th of October and this week we're going to be talking about the reported arrest of Rawa Majid, the head of the Foxtrot gang, believed to be at the centre of a recent wave of murders and violent attacks in Sweden. We'll discuss reactions in Sweden to this week's deadly escalation of hostilities in Israel and Gaza, but mostly we'll talk about the new salary threshold for work permit holders and the likely impact on Sweden's economy. Our guest this week is the former education minister Anna Ekström, who also has a background as a labour law lawyer and trade unionist. You'll also be able to hear more from her in an extra episode we'll release during the week where we get into detail about things like the education options available to adults in Sweden and what Sweden can do to fix segregation in its schools. I'm your host, Paul O'Mahony, and I'm joined from Malmö by our regular panellist, Becky Waterton. And sitting with me here in Stockholm are James Savage and our guest, Anna Ekström. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the podcast, Anna. Can Thank you, you very much. tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Exactly a year ago, I lost my job as a Minister for Education. And uh, at the age of 63, what do you do when you lose your job? Well, you start looking into your own wishes for the future. And I discovered that uh, my heart really was in the uh, civil society with uh, study associations and folk high schools. So I focused very much on on, uh, what we in Sweden call folkbildning. There's no really good English word for it. No, how would you you explain what it is? uh, Well, it is, I would say that bildning or in German you say bildung. It's very Nordic and it's about people not only learning the facts, but also learning what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. And in these days with social media, with uh, presidents lying without any shame, it's very good for people to have the ability to see the difference between an outright lie and some statement that's founded on on evidence. Mm. And that is for me building. So it's a sort of adult education that teaches critical thinking as well. Critical thinking is very, very important, but it's not, I would say it's not only adult education. If you look carefully into the Swedish and Nordic curricula, you will see that there is an element of build, building or building uh, dating back to the early 
uh, 20th century. So it's 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 got a very it's a very Nordic thing. Yeah, and you're working sort of within that movement now. Within that movement, which is uh, a popular movement, so it, you don't see corporate money, you only see people's hard work. Let's get on to the news now, and we'll start with reports that the exiled leader of the criminal Foxtrot network, Rawa Majid, was arrested last Friday while crossing the border from Turkey to Iran. Uh, Majid, as we've spoken about, is embroiled in an internal conflict and external turf wars over drugs with other gangs. What do we know about his alleged arrest, Becky, and what's likely to happen next? So these reports are unconfirmed, or at least they were when we recorded this on Thursday, on Thursday the 12th of October. But Majid was apparently arrested in some kind of traffic stop last Friday. So that would be the 6th of October when he was supposedly held due to having fake ID documents. But having said that, mm-hmm. even if the rumours are true and he's been he's been arrested and Iran has him, it's not necessarily certain that they would hand Majid over to Sweden. This is according to an interview that TT Newswire did with uh, Ruzbe Parsi head of the Middle East and North Africa program mm. at the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. So he thinks that the most probable outcome is that Majid is sent back to Turkey as he's a Turkish citizen, unless Iran decide they can use him as political leverage over Sweden. So Sweden doesn't have an extradition treaty or anything with mm. Iran, so they, and they might not even be aware of the fact that he's this big kind of wanted criminal in Sweden, uh, Parsi said. Okay, so Swedish police are no closer really to getting their hands on him despite him having apparently moved country. Yeah, I mean, it could be that Iran maybe wanted to use him to tr- as a trade-off to get some of their own people that Sweden has. But yeah, it's all very, very uncertain. And it, the most likely thing is that he's just sent back to Turkey. Okay, well, we'll be, we'll be following this on the website and we'll post any new stories if we get them. Thanks for that roundup, Becky. So the biggest news internationally this week was, of course, the terrorist attack on Israel that left more than a thousand dead, after which Israel declared war on Hamas and launched retaliatory attacks on Gaza. These attacks had killed also around a thousand people at the time of recording. James, how has Sweden reacted at an official level to the Hamas attacks and Israel's response? It's been condemnation at every level. Foreign Minister Tobias Bielström was first out saying there were no excuses for Hamas's attack. And this was echoed across the political spectrum, um, with even the left party leader, Nushid Agustar, whose party has traditionally been perhaps most pro-Palestinian, condemning it unequivocally. There was a party leader debate on Sunday where all the party leaders were expressed horror and and, 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 and revulsion at what happened. Even Margot Wallström, the social democratic former foreign minister who pushed through Sweden's recognition of Palestinian statehood, said the attack should be condemned in the strongest possible terms. And now, if we look at the sort of the more practical implications of this, the Christian Democrats, the Sweden Democrats and the Liberals have now raised the prospect of reversing the recognition of Palestinian statehood. The moderates are holding out and they say that they don't wish to do this right now. But that's three members of the governing coalition who want to reverse Sweden's recognition of Palestinian Mm, statehood. mm. The government has also frozen all aid payments to Palestinians. Um, Sweden gives a significant amount of aid to the Palestinian authorities. And on this point, there wasn't unity. The Greens and the Social Democrats have criticised this as harmful to ordinary Palestinians. And even former moderate party prime minister and foreign minister Carl Bildt has criticised drawing in aid, saying it will hurt ordinary people. So there, there is quite a lot of political division on the practical implications of what Sweden should do. But in in terms of expression of revulsion at, at Hamas's actions in in Israel, the condemnation has been total. And what kind of reaction has there been among people living in Sweden? 
in the vast majority of cases, the vast majority of people of all backgrounds have expressed disgust, shock and horror and fear of what will follow as well. However, there have been some highly publicised demonstrations in favour of the Palestinians, or when I say in favour of the Palestinians, what uh, celebrations of the attacks mm. that you've seen in certain places. There was a parade of around 300 cars in Malmö waving Palestinian flags shortly after the attacks. And that obviously has caused um, a lot of soul-searching and, and disgust among people who are, who, who are um, obviously disgusted at what Hamas has done. But there have also been other people, who spokespeople for the Palestinian community in Sweden, who've gone out and been um, highly critical of what Hamas has done. So, And that, I think, has been the, the overall reaction in Sweden. I've been struck by the unity in condemning these attacks. And I listened to yesterday's uh, news. Uh, there was a debate in the news programme where a, a chairperson of, of the Palestinian movement in Malmö was enormously clear. He said that all attacks on Jewish people were attacks on everyone. And he sort of sided completely with the, the Jewish society in Sweden. I was really touched by this. And I think this is, this is the vast majority of people believing in the Palestinian cause in Sweden because it's very important, I think, to make a difference between what Hamas has done and what the Palestinian people need. Yeah, I saw him as well, and he was unequivocal. He wasn't, oh yes, but he was very much just straightforward. This is this yeah. is revolting and can't be, and yes, can't and be I, sanctioned. I'm actually a member of the Swedish Committee Against Antisemitism, and I was very proud of, of uh, the reactions uh, siding with the Jewish communities in mm. Sweden because everyone is against antisemitism, but we also need to promote Jewish life in Sweden. And we can't promote Jewish life if, if the Jewish community itself feels that they are excluded and, and fearful. There was also in the same program last night, which I watched as well, an interview with a, a young Jewish man who said that he didn't feel comfortable wearing his Star of David outside his shirt. He tucked it in. And that demonstrated that still a lot of Jewish people feel that they can't express their Jewishness in Swedish society, which is a concern, I suppose. A big concern, but even more, how, this shows how important it is that everyone stands up in, in favour of, of um, being able to express your Jewishness. Thanks for that roundup on what's going on in Sweden in reaction to what's been happening in Israel and Gaza. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. We're going to talk now about the new salary threshold for work permits after the government revealed that the new rules would take effect on the 1st of November. On Wednesday, I attended a rally held by the Work Permit Holders Association outside the Migration Agency's National Service Centre in the Stockholm suburb Sundbybay. And there I spoke to people who worry that they will be ordered to leave Sweden after the monthly income required to qualify for a work permit increases next month from 13,000 kroner to 27,360 kroner. Let's listen now to a couple of people I spoke to there. First, we'll hear from Vanessa Fuentes, who is just weeks away from being eligible for permanent residency, but now instead fears she'll have to leave Sweden. I am uh, from El Salvador. I've been in Sweden for around uh, seven years. And uh, I've been under work permits for almost four years. Uh, It will be four years exactly the 26th of October. And why did you come to Sweden? Uh, First, I came uh, to request asylum with my ex-girlfriend because uh, it's very difficult being uh, gay in El Salvador. So we decided to come to Sweden and try to, um, you know, uh, request our asylum here. Then we were denied because they said that El Salvador is safe for gay people. And then I changed my application to work permit. So how is the new work permit um, salary threshold affecting you? I work in the restaurant industry, so I my salary is not going to reach the new um, level that they have raised it to. So uh, basically, I'm going to have to leave Sweden because they will probably reject my application since I'm not going to make the income that they are expecting uh, immigrants to make. And how is it affecting you on a personal level? Well, uh, I have a lot of uh, trouble sleeping, anxiety. I have been taking uh, antidepressants for a while. Uh, I have had a lot of uh, issues uh, with mental health because of this, uh, all the stress that this is causing the trapping situation where uh, as workers we are put in by the the system with Migrationsverket. So it has been really difficult for me and for my partner as well. She's Swedish, but it's been affecting her as well. Like We thought that it was just going to be like pulling through the requirements that Migrationsverket had set, set on me, on the work permit rules. And then uh, uh, when I'm almost at the end of my path, they changed the rules. So it's very frustrating and very difficult because we were expecting by this time that I would get permanent residence and then we would be able to have a baby together because in order to do that, uh, we, I need to have a permanent residence. I cannot do that if I'm like still on work permit. And obviously now that this is going to happen, if I get rejected, we won't be able to have a child together. It's more time that we will have to wait so we're very sad about that. It's uh, stopping us from moving on with our lives to like make a family, to um, get to our dreams, that like the things that we have dreamt together. So it's very frustrating and very difficult. Do you have any message for the government? I would say please consider the people that are already here working in Sweden for years. Take into consideration that you're throwing us away and it's not fair because we've been here for years. We are already here in Sweden and we are not doing anything wrong. We are trying to fulfill all your requirements. So please consider the people who are already here. 
That was Vanessa Fuentes. I also spoke to Anna Surgaladze, who is a spokesperson for the Work Permit Holders Association, who herself now fears that she's going to have to leave Sweden. And she talked about how her organization's immediate priority was to challenge the retroactive nature of the new regulation that we just heard Vanessa speak about. What we demand right now is that all these people who lived so many years in the country, who have children born here or raised here, they should be exempted from the new regulation because this is very unfair and by constitution even, you can see that this works retroactively towards these people. I have personally experienced a lot of stress last couple of months uh, since this everything started and that's why I decided to handle my stress, I should join this association and I sh- should gather people and we should start actions against this uh, regulation. Of course I experienced and uh, I already have some health consequences, like I cannot sleep without uh, melatonin, for example, at night because I'm overthinking, I'm thinking what, how, because I gave all my young age four years to this country I left everything and my my life in Georgia is paused and my education is paused. So I had a plan, I was studying Swedish, I was contributing to uh, paying tax every month, I didn't do any crime, I didn't fail in anything. I was just honest working, becoming part of society, contributing and follow all the constitution regulations and so on. Of course we should talk about also that migration is and government they are connecting criminal and immigration and they're making a picture to society in society that all immigrants are criminals and this is very wrong and this is insult to all people for me for example myself I personally I'm feeling so sad that I should hear about myself like this things it's very big insult because I'm not criminal, I didn't do any crime, and they know very well that work permit holders are not criminals. We go, from beginning we go, we leave our fingerprints, our pictures, our passports, and every two years we are doing the same procedure. And they see our bank statements, our uh, fingerprints, our, what we do, they see everything. So this is insane to make this view in society that all migrants are criminals. No, we are just working, hard-working people. We've just been listening to Vanessa Fuentes and Anna Surgaladze from the Work Permit Holders Association's demonstration in Sumbibari this week. Anna, can I bring you in here? One of the arguments politicians are making is that these jobs in, for example, the service and care sectors could be filled by unemployed people in Sweden, which incidentally, Anna Surgaladze said she's convinced won't happen. Your government had a similar plan. The previous migration minister, Anders Ugeman, proposed a pay threshold of just under 30,000 kroner. What's your view on this? Do you think the government's doing the right thing here? Well, I'm a bit uh, old-fashioned. I think uh, the old way uh, that we used to have in Sweden, because I think to start with, there's no doubt that there has been a misuse and that uh, people coming into Sweden on work permits have been really badly used. And there's no doubt we need to do something in order to shape this up. Being a bit old-fashioned, I, I was uh, before I became a minister, I was um, head of one of the big trade unions in Sweden for 
almost 10 years. And we worked very hard in order to make this system more flexible, to make sure that if there is a need on the labor market, there should be a possibility to make sure that people can come to Sweden and work. And so I like the old old fashioned system where we we did a sort of, uh, we tried everyone. Uh, Is this a job that could be filled by someone in Sweden or is is this a a job where we need to have workforce migration? So I prefer the old system Mm. because I was in, actually I was last week in Skellefteå where there's a big, uh, big demand for uh, labor. And they were extremely concerned about how they should fill all the vacancies that will take place mm. in the elderly care and the in the public sector in the uh, in in Shaleftio, where people work on salaries uh, concluded in collective agreements. So um, for me, I, I'm. I'd like to go back to the old-fashioned system. Wasn't there a problem with the old-fashioned system, though, sometimes in that it didn't always keep pace with the changes in the labour market, with changes in demand, with new kinds of jobs that came up, and you had, you know, and and you and you had civil servants and perhaps trade unions and employees' organisations who weren't able to keep pace with with what was happening there. The system that came to replace it was intended to be a bit more flexible. Employers know who they need. They know who they can find. Most employers would like to find someone local because it's cheaper. How do you have a system like the one that you're um, proposing or that that you favour while still managing to keep pace with with, with, with changes in the labour market? Well, I can can understand that. For instance, there was a big discussion, I think, 15 years ago on on uh, I think it was Indian chefs not allowed to come to Sweden because we had ordinary Swedish chefs available. But if, if that's the problem, let's fix the bugs in the system instead of over, overturning the whole system. I think there's no doubt that the system that we had instead was much too liberal because it has led to misuse and it has led to people being really left in terrible conditions in Sweden and it has been linked also to almost a trafficking so there is no doubt that we need to do something about the too liberal system but there's always a happy equilibrium so for for me I would like to find the the old system have it back and and, uh, make it work better. But there was one point here with the with the changes that the government has made that they are applying them retroactively. And that's what a lot of our listeners are questioning. And one of the things that's going to affect a lot of our listeners, some of them, you know, perhaps on salaries of 21, 22,000 kroner, certainly living wages. And in accordance with collective bargaining and agreements. And in accordance with collective bargaining agreements in, in, in most cases. And they live here and they've made their lives here. They've been given an expectation of being able to live here. And suddenly the changes are coming in and uh, affecting their ability to stay living here. I mean, they might have to leave the country very quickly. Could there have been a better way of doing this? Well, being a labour lawyer, I feel uh, hair rising on my arms. I get goosebumps. What a case to take through the system. And on a personal note, I would say good luck to them. But uh, I really feel for them. Sometimes it's good to be outside the the system where you don't have talking points, you can say what you like. And I really feel for them. I think this is uh, this has been handled in a way that is um, really bad to a lot of people, but also bad to the Swedish labour market, because many of these jobs are jobs that are urgently needed, especially in the north. But as someone who's worked pushing through legislation before, can you see that there could have been a way of doing this differently where you had transitional rules for people who were already here? Is that, would that be a theoretical possibility? Is it, what I'm asking here, is this a decision in your view that the government has made 
not to allow for transitional rules? Or would that have been an impossibility as you see it? In my view, it's a possibility. They use this possibility. And I've pushed legislation during COVID. I pushed legislation through that made it, it gave me the sort of possibility to close down the schools in Sweden. I did this in three days in Parliament. So I've, I've really worked hard on pushing through things quickly. I never used it, which I'm very happy with afterwards. But um, of course, this is an option and uh, the government has chosen this option. And of course, they have done it because they want to appear tough on immigrants. Just on that point, the government and its support party, the Sweden Democrats, talk a lot about a paradigm shift in immigration policy. And your party leader, Magdalena Andersson, when she was asked for her reaction to the TIDA agreement that underpins these tougher policies, said it was, in fact, the Social Democrats who had set the paradigm shift in motion when it shut the borders during the refugee crisis in 2015. I mean, is she right? Are the Social Democrats, in a sense, just as eager as the government to cut immigration? Well, I do agree with Magdalena that that was a paradigm shift. Uh, It was a paradigm shift in legislation and in legal action, but it was also a paradigm shift in, as I see it, in the public opinion. There's no doubt that we need to be much, much better on integration. And there's no doubt that we we have to sort of handle the migration and the integration policies at the same time. Mm. But as I see it, and the problem I have with the way the government is handling this, is that they are so eager to be tough on migration that they get tough on migrants. And I think that's a very big difference and a very big problem. I think it's a problem for the migrants, but it's mo- it's even more a problem for the society because the Swedish society is a very coherent society where we trust each other and do our best to like each other. And if you use policy, which has the result of people disliking and not trusting each other, I think is not only bad for migrants, it's very bad for all Swedes too. In your reading of public opinion, is there a strong public opinion in favour of clamping down on labour migration among care workers, on labour migration among people working in the tech industry. Is that where public opinion is? Has the government read public opinion correctly here, do you think? I think that's a very rhetorical question. Of course, there's no public opinion against It's what the government's doing and it's what the the, the Social Democrats have proposed as well. The public opinion is against... um, people being misused and and badly treated by the employers. And we've seen so many examples of that. We've seen so many examples of of people working in the shadow industries uh, where there are no trade unions, no collective bargaining, no respect for the Swedish legislation. That's the big problem. And the big, big problem is, of course, if the employers use this to press down the wages for Swedish workers. But with good collective bargaining and with a uh, high trade union influence. That's why I want to go back to the old system where the trade unions can have a responsibility in, in taking part of, in this. This um, pay thro- threshold issue is something that affects a lot of the locals' readers. And we had a survey on the site recently asking for people's opinions about the hike. Becky, can you summarise what people have been telling us? Yeah. So, I mean, if you haven't read the article, I'd really recommend you do so, as it's, it is impossible to get it all across in a summary, really. But I'd say if I had to use one word to describe the responses, it would probably be despair. So many respondents, mm. over 200 told us they would be directly affected by the salary threshold. And many of those said that they fear for their futures, they fear for their children's futures as they risk being forced to leave Sweden. 
I think you have to think that for every work permit holder that's kicked out, there's often a partner and accompanying children who will be forced to leave too. And mm. again, a lot of these people are highly qualified, doctors, engineers, jobs that Sweden needs, but they weren't able to get a job in their industry when they moved to Sweden due to the language barrier or their qualifications weren't recognized. And even those that aren't highly qualified, they're, they're still in industries that Sweden needs, you know, cleaning, cleaning restaurants, things like that. It's 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 kind of the backbone of, of the welfare state in many ways. It's, you know, underhuartoska, like assistant nurses. And a lot of people got job, low-paid jobs as cleaners or in the fast food industry in order to learn Swedish. They thought, okay, I'll invest for a few years, I'll get my Swedish up to scratch, and then I'll yeah. apply for a different job when I've got my permanent residency. So they've put all of this effort into integrate, invested years of their lives and their families' lives into Sweden just to be treated as expendable. And I think a lot of people, it's kind of this retroactive thing you were talking about. And it's the same thing that Vanessa and Anna from the Work Permit Holders Association touch upon. A lot of people feel that it's unfair. It's the government moving the goalposts. Some people were months or weeks away from applying for permanent mm. residency. Some people have already applied for permanent residency, maybe even a year ago. And waiting times at the migration agency mean that now they might be kicked out. They might have kids who were here for four years, maybe even born here. And now the new rules, which a lot of people actually do agree are a good idea in theory, are being brought in retroactively and throwing all that up into the air. To get a little bit personal, I've only been here for four years. I don't have permanent residency and I have a three-year-old who's only ever lived in Sweden. I can't imagine what it would be like if I was told, sorry, you can't live here anymore. You have to go back to the UK. And the UK is a safe place. So some of these people would genuinely be in danger if they were sent back to their home countries. So that's another aspect of it. And, and there's also the mental health aspect. There was one respondent who believed stress of uncertainty was behind his wife's miscarriages. There were a number of respondents who mentioned suicide. Yeah. I mean, that just shows how deeply this is affecting the mental health of some work permit holders. And I think it's it's probably a good idea for us, at least, to link to some organisations like MIND or the 1177 Healthcare Hotline in the show notes for any listeners who do feel like they would benefit from support with their mental health. Going from one point that, that Becky made there, this, this issue of some people being in genuine danger if they're sent back to their home countries now, Sweden does still have a right to asylum. If, if you're in genuine danger, mm. um, then you can apply for asylum in Sweden now that it's not it's not at all certain it will be accepted. The rules are very strictly interpreted. But if you are, um, if you feel you're going to be in danger going back to your home country, then that is a route. We even have the example of Vanessa who spoke to Paul. Like she, she doesn't feel safe in her home country, but Sweden rejected her asylum application. So there, there will be some people that mm. fall through the cracks there. Yeah, you were talking about the paradigm shift. And um, I think this is a very important aspect that the reason we had this paradigm shift was that the migration turned out to be too big to handle. I, I myself, I was uh, head of, of uh, the Swedish school authorities at that time. And when I visited schools, I met principals who had a completely impossible situation. Over the weekend, suddenly they had 25 new kids to take care of in the classroom. In November in Malmö, when it's quite cold, we had to open up the big uh, Malmö fair and have people sleeping in sleeping bags. The situation was not manageable. Mm. But there is a difference between being sort of making sure that you have rules on migration that are possible to handle for society. That's one thing. There's another thing to have rules that are sort of unnecessarily cruel to people. That's my problem with this. These are people who, you know, are living here, working here, paying taxes, integrated into Swedish society. Many of them speak Swedish. And I think they're clearly not a group that has issues with integration. So it, it just seems to me that if, if your issue with immigration is that people aren't integrated, this is like the worst group of people to kick out. It did strike me reading one of one of one of the um, people who spoke to us this week that we had a doctor living in Sweden working as a cleaner. 
on that level alone, very a very a very strange situation. And the rules with work permits, meaning that that this person had a work permit to be here as a cleaner and couldn't then on their work permit change tracks to work as a doctor or work in the healthcare sector in in, a, in another role, even if their doctor's qualifications wouldn't exactly match those of, of Swedish doctors. And a very common situation. And it's a very common situation that that people fall between chairs like that. Mm. We're going to bring in another uh, couple of voices now. Our regular panellist Richard Orange spoke this week to representatives from a couple of organisations that are watching this change very closely. The Confederation of Swedish Enterprise, or Svensk Näringsliv, which represents employers, and the Fores Think Tank, which believes Sweden's liberal labour migration policies have served the country very well. First, here's Tuva Hovamir from Fores on why she thinks the government is clamping down on labour migration and what it means for Sweden's economy. Yeah, I think it's obvious that that the view on labour mark, uh, labour migration from the government is strongly linked to the view on immigration in general, where you want to seem tough on the migration, all kinds of it which actually is quite confusing since the industry and the corporate industry is very keen on having more labor migration Mm. and are opposing these suggestions that the government now is putting forward. If you listen to the interest organizations and the the uh, corporate organizations that are working with these Mm. issues daily, it's very clear that it is also positions in like hospitality and Mm. and, uh, those kind of industries, tourism, Mm -hmm. that it will be greatly affected by this um, by mm. this policy where it will be nearly impossible from them for them from to recruit from a third country and they are very clear that this is not good for Swedish competition in a global economy it's not good for Swedish growth it's not good for Swedish business to have this kind of policy. So I think that is a way to justify to themselves and to their voters Mm -hmm. that they're making this policy shift, but no one is happy about it, not even those who are regularly often happy with like the the moderates and the liberals uh, governing the country are now very angry about this policy Mm. shift. That was Tuva Hovamir. Now let's listen to Patrick Karlsson, senior advisor on labour market policy for the Confederation of Swedish Enterprise, as he talks about how the new threshold will have a major impact in certain sectors and how the government's planned next steps will make it even harder to qualify. Certain sectors, of course, would, the impact will be larger. I mean, in the, in this, in the service sector, in the, in the uh, cleaning sector, in some, some of the um, occupations related to elder care and so on, you will have an impact from this threshold from the 1st of November. The government is planning, you know, to put mm-hmm. the threshold up also even further to 100% of median income. Mm-hmm. Of course, if that comes into place during 2024, you will have a huge impact on on the, on the companies because then you will see new rules and this income threshold affecting a lot of sectors and, and mm-hmm. occupations, absolutely, because, I mean, that would indicate you'd, you'd have to uh, earn above 34,000 Swedish kroner a month. And we have very, very many occupations where where salaries are much lower than that. Patrick calls on there from the Confederation of Swedish Enterprise. One aspect of all this that's got some attention in the Swedish press this week is the potential economic impact of forcing foreign workers to leave. What can you say about that, James? 
Well, we're talking about a significant number of people who are already working here and who may not be able to stay and who can't be replaced. These are people working in Swedish companies, cleaning, making deliveries, driving, who may now have to leave in a fairly short period. There's a risk that that will be noticeable. These are areas where there are already labour shortages, but where it's not economical to increase salaries to the new minimum level. So some companies and some organisations in the public sector may struggle and some kinds of services may disappear or become understaffed. Even some people who have junior still skilled positions in tech companies, for example, may not be able to stay. Although as they're likely to be closer to the salary threshold, there's a greater chance that in some cases uh, their employers will be able to raise their pay. Mm. But this will affect an, an awful lot of people, an awful lot of companies. We saw, just to take this, uh, with, to give a comparison here that I'm very familiar with, we saw in the UK after Brexit that a number of sectors that were reliant on immigrant labour started to experience shortages when the supply of labourers was cut off. There it was hospitality, transport, farm workers. There's a risk that in Sweden, the impact will be worse for two reasons. First of all, if you look at the UK case, people who were already there were allowed to stay in the vast majority of cases. Um, and secondly, the government there has since that effectively encouraged people from the rest of the world to come to Britain to take the jobs vacated by EU workers. That's been reasonably effective. There's actually been relatively high migration to the UK since, since then. But there's no sign right now that the Swedes have a similar plan. Of course, the plan is to take people who are already here and unemployed. But if you look at the people who are already here and unemployed, for instance, there's nearly, there's I think 18% unemployment among women, non-European migrants. But they are a long way from the labour markets. Uh, many of them haven't even completed school. Many of them don't speak Swedish or even English, which means that, that their opportunities to take a lot of these jobs are, are, are very limited. But at the other end of the equation is that Swedish employers can still, of course, recruit people from across the EU, but they can do that now. So there's no reason that that's going to make things any easier. So really, there's no quick fix to this. And there is a risk that a lot of Swedish companies, a lot of Swedish organisations will find themselves unable to offer the services they offer now. Okay, we're going to end it there, but we'll add plenty of links in the notes to our latest articles on the new pay thresholds. And make sure to tune in again during the week for much more from Anna Ekström. Because of her background in labour law, we ended up chatting to her for longer than anticipated about work permits. But of course, she also has an awful lot to say on education. So make sure to tune in during the week when she gives us her thoughts on recent budget cuts for adult education, how immigrants can get access to adult education, how Sweden can combat segregation in its schools, and what Sweden can do to ensure boys don't get left behind and fall prey to gangs. Thank you for listening to Sweden in Focus, and please do share the podcast with anyone else you think might enjoy it. Our regular panellists today were Becky Waterton and James Savage. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again soon, first with the bonus episode during the week and then again next Saturday. Until then, take care. Have you ever Googled your own name? Prepare for a shock because your personal info, including addresses and phone numbers, is all out there. It's all harvested by data brokers and sold legally. Aura is a personal digital security service that scans the internet for your sensitive information and provides a full suite of privacy-enhancing tools. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners a 14-day free trial at aura.com safety. That's A-U-R-A dot safety to learn more and activate the 14-day trial period.
Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you have no idea where it's going? Well, I know it's all of those subscriptions. I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and I had them cancel the ones I didn't want anymore. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash pod24. That's rocketmoney.com slash pod24. Rocketmoney.com slash pod24. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.